First thing I did was I took out my sat phone, called my wife, and I called her and I couldn't talk. <laughs> she's like, she's like, is that you? Is that you? You know? And I couldn't talk. I was just so, I was speechless. I really was. And we talked for a few minutes, you know, after I finally could get the words out. And, you know, I was like, we did it. We did it. Episode 267, part two of the Tom Fabry discussion about Mount Vincent Massif and the Seven Summits. You're listening to the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. We talk with adventurers from around the globe to bring you the inspiration and motivation you need to get started in the outdoors or to keep you moving if you're already there. Now here's your host, Kurt Linville. Well, let's go to Mount McKinley now. Denali. Denali is an amazing peak. big one. You know, it's so far north. I think that's what makes this one so unique. That and also how tall it is compared to the, the surrounding base elevation. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's actually a larger mountain than Everest. Hmm. And, and most people don't know that. Everest is, is higher, obviously, in elevation. Everest starts at around 17,500 feet. And goes up to 29,035 feet. So if you do the map there, it's really not that big. McKinley, or Denali, as it's renamed now, um, starts at around 7,500 feet, somewhere around there, and uh, goes up to 20,320 feet. So it's actually a bigger mountain, and also it's at a, a more northern latitude. So you get some horrific weather. You get some unbelievable snowstorms there. And uh, I, I believe that if you can climb Denali, then, you know, you're ready to go to Mc- you're ready to go to Everest. Right. And um, I when I was there, I, I, you know, I'd like to say that, I mean, it is so beautiful, so majestic. I said it was like the hand of God came down and formed this this thing. It was just so am- amazing. And for me, um, so scary. <laughs> the snow, <laughs> the snowstorms. I fell into a crevasse. I mean, it was just, just this, you know, where I, I mean, you know, fixed lines and snow and high winds. And it's, it's got everything you could ask for in an adventure. It's got everything. And so I'm just uh, was really humbled going to to uh, McKinley, just really humbled climbing it and, and feeling it. And there for you're on the mountain for almost three weeks. Yeah, it's no small expedition, is it? It's a feat. It, it, it definitely is. And that was my first taste of pulling a sled and carrying a backpack and snowshoes and I mean, it just really depleted me and drained me, but it's so awe-inspiring. And it takes it takes a lot of it takes a lot of teamwork. You definitely need to be a cohesive unit. Um, I would never attempt anything like that on my own. It's just you know you fall into a crevasse when you're on your own, you're done. <laughs> so, right. And, and 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 yeah, and I you know and we're you know we had um, three three teams of three, you know, so there was nine of us and 
um, you know, we're roped in and we're doing, you know, snow travel and glacier travel and we get snowshoes on. And I was the guy in the middle on our team and I fell into a crevasse, you know, right up to my armpits. And, you know, because you're crossing these snow bridges and I fell into a crevasse and I'm hanging there and I'm like, oh, my God. And my the teammate in front of me goes, let's go, Tom, pull yourself out. <laughs> like, oh, OK. Like, OK, let's go. You know, it's like, OK, you're not going to stay there all day. Let's get over it and let's get going. You know, so I mean, it's, you know, people die on that mountain every year. Sure. I mean, you know, you can be flash frozen in an instant and some of these snowstorms they get super cold lots of snow and um it's just an incredible incredible place unbelievable and i was very humbled by it you know when i came down from that i was talking to a gentleman who had climbed it several times a gentleman by the name of joe harisky and he's like you're world you're world class now i'm like what he's like you you know climbing denali you're world class. You, you're ready for anything. So wow. it's like, wow. Yeah. yeah, it's just uh, just an amazing place. I can't talk enough about it. It's just incredible. Well, people have said that it's it's actually a, a more dangerous peak, perhaps even than Everest, because of its latitude. And yes. I don't know if the stats agree with that or not, but it's it's major. So congratulations. That's quite the climb. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'll let you know. When I go to Everest, <laughs> what, what's the difference, right? What's right. the difference? Right, exactly. So how about Mount Vinson Massif in Antarctica? So what I would like to do on this one is spend a little bit more time about the logistics and the equipment because this is a different part of the world. Getting there, um, how do you manage the trip, right? And what kind of gear is necessary and, and that sort of thing. Well, I was, um, I actually used the same gear that I had on McKinley. It was the same gear. And that gear you can use on Everest. You know, La Sportiva boots, you know, the all in one boot, um, heavy snow pants, snow parka. Um, I had a couple of sponsors, um, a sponsor out of um, Colorado. Uh, a company called Big Agnes. They gave me this amazing uh, sleeping bag, you know, uh, ready for minus 40. Awesome. And, yeah, yeah, it's just like, you know, when when I got an email from them, you know, because I reach out to sponsors, these adventures, these big trips, they have big dollars. I don't know if uh, people know that, you know, big dollars. And I was in the gym training, and I got an email. I had my phone. I'm listening to my music. And I get an email from a company called Big Agnes out of Colorado. And, you know, I got the word they were going to uh, supply me with some of my equipment. And I tell you, I got a, all emotional in the gym. Uh, sure. I did. I really did. You know, I was just like, oh, my God. You know, I just I'm humbled that these companies and people, you know, they want to support you and believe in, in what you're doing. And, you know, I, I really I got all teary eyed. It was just incredible. And so, um, so I used uh, the same same gear that I used for uh, McKinley, and although we did not use uh, snowshoes, um, but just getting to uh, Antarctica is an adventure. Just oh, getting yeah. there. So um, big trip, big dollars. I flew from JFK 
to Santiago, Chile. Then from Santiago, Chile, I flew to Punta Arenas. Um, that's almost right at the southern tip of Chile, South America. And that's where I met the team. And I was honored to be climbing with Dave Hahn. Dave Hahn is the premier. He's the Michael Jordan of the climbing world, of the alpine climbing mm. world. He's He's been to Everest 22 times, has summited Everest 15 times. I mean, this guy, he's the guy. You know, and I actually met him on McKinley. And I'm like, I want to climb with you <laughs> down. And <laughs> sure. uh, I did. I met him. I met him coming down from McKinley and he was going up. <laughs> and so and we connected, you know, a couple of years later, you know, and uh, here I am climbing with him. So we meet in uh, Punta Arenas, Chile, and that's where we do a gear check. You know, we have everything. And then we are going to take a Russian Aleutian uh, 72, a big Russian four-engine cargo jet, and fly four and a half hours across the Drake Passage and land at Union Glacier. It's a ice runway. They call it a blue ice runway. Wow. And it's it's incredible, just incredible. And so uh, just to give you an idea, that's a $30,000 ticket. <laughs> you know, oh. it's, it's not it's not a scheduled flight on uh, JetBlue or somebody. You know what I mean? Right. Um, so you really have to. Uh, typically, this uh, this company they they fly over scientists and and whatnot. You know, um, that are doing exploration down there in Antarctica. And and as you know, there's no real inhabitants of. Antarctica, you know, it's not like it's, um, you know, Argentina or, you know, the United States. There's no inhabitants really that, you know, live there year round. Right. So Antarctica is really this conglomerate of all these countries around the globe sort of have a piece of it, you know, so uh, anybody has access to it. Um, so but, you know, um, it takes a couple of days to get that logistics going because um, there is a base there at Union Glacier and there's no real approaches. You know, I used to be a captain at the airline and there's no approaches like an ILS, an instrument landing system. You have to do a visual approach and they have a weather observer on the ground at Union Glacier saying, yeah, you know, it's clear and sunny today and these are the winds. And so they'll launch out of uh, Punta Arenas and fly four and a half hours by GPS. They'll get there, and, but then they have to do a visual. They have to actually see the runway and land on it. It's just amazing, just amazing to get there. And they land on an ice runway. I'm like, oh, my God. You know? <laughs> it's just incredible to, to you know, be a part of that. And then when you get off, you know, so what they do is as you're descending into Antarctica on the jet, They'll lower the temperature on the airplane to get you ready for the minus 30 degrees C it is at uh, in Antarctica. And so so you're all geared up. You're ready to go. You know, you have all your gear on. <laughs> and so That's and great. so they it's, I'm like, oh, my God, you know. And so and when you get off the airplane, it's brutal. It kind of takes your breath away, the cold, the cold and the wind, the super cold. 
Um, but then, you know, you get acclimated to it. So we offload our gear, spend a couple of hours doing that. And then we take another twin otter on skis and fly to base camp another 45 minutes and fly to the Ellsworth range and uh, land on the Branscombe Glacier. And um, when I was on that flight, I mean, the whole thing was really an emotional experience for me because here I am in Antarctica, number six of the seven. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. Right. That's awesome. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I really couldn't believe that I was doing it. And as I'm looking out the window, uh, flying on the Twin Otter, going, you know, flying to the ba- really the base of the mountain, um, all you can see is ice and rock, just ice and rock and snow, and, and that's it. I mean, you know, there's no trees, there's no wildlife, you know, along the coastline of Antarctica. Obviously, there's uh, emperor ping- penguins and, and whatnot, but uh, there's nothing there. And such a pristine um, and beautiful place. And obviously it can kill you in a, in a heartbeat. Um, but just, uh, you know, I was really uh, overcome by with emotion. I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm going to go. I'm in the middle of this amazing adventure that very few people are fortunate to do. And so we lay and uh, we set up camp. <laughs> And the plane takes off, you know, drops us on the Branscombe Glacier. And then, the, you know, the plane takes off and there we are like, OK, this is the real deal. And, um, you know, we spent a couple of days at base camp talking about, you know, how this whole thing is going to lay out and uh, going up to Camp One and then fixed lines up to high camp and then, you know, checking the weather and, and all that. So we spent. Two days doing that, and then we were off. We were off to, to high camp, and again pulling sleds, and um, you know about a sixty-pound sled and fifty to sixty-pound backpack, and it kicked my butt. Oh, that's, it really that's did. A lot of weight to manage. I trained a whole year for this. Trained a whole year, and um, you know I run a lot of stairs. I run stairs with a backpack and. I'm in the gym and constantly training, eating, you know, um, I'm a trained chef out of New York and I've, you know, written a couple of books on health and wellness. And so, um, I'm sort of this kind of guru on physical fitness and eating well. And I, you know, and so I trained for a whole year, but I tell you that first day of climbing, going from base camp to camp one, we it was about six and a half miles, but a gain of little over two thousand feet in elevation. But what I really, when you're training back in Long Island, where it's flat right. and, and and sunny and warm, and you know, I trained in the wintertime too, but um, I, I didn't account for the super cold temperatures and really the dehydration. And so, you know, the gain in altitude, I was aware of that, but then pulling a sled. So when, when we went about six and a half miles, gain of 2000 foot elevation, uh, when I got to camp one, I cramped, I severely cramped up, my legs cramped up and I'm like, Oh my God, I, you know, I couldn't move. 
Um, I had to sit for a couple of hours and really all I needed to do was uh, rehydrate. But we were, you know, we would take a break for about five or 10 minutes every hour. And it took us a better, about eight hours of climbing that day. Uh, but I got super hydrated and I cramped up severely. And I'm like, oh my God, you know, um, I hope this isn't the end of me, you know, right. the first couple of days here. Yeah, it was, I was a little bit nervous. And so, um, but once I hydrated, um, it took me about three hours and I recouped and I was good. I was good again. But, um, you know, then we had to set up camp, building snow walls, uh, putting our tents up. And then, um, you know, we rested for a couple of days. And after a couple of days, then we were going to push to go up to um, high camp, cache some gear, you know, drop off some food, some extra tents and bring them up there and then go back down to camp one. So the theory is, you may know this, is climb high, sleep low. Sure. You know, so climb high, sleep low. And, you know, and there's only on on, uh, Vincent Massif, there's only a couple of camps and then you push for the summit. So that's to get climatized, right, for the for the high altitudes. And um, Vincent Massive is just over 16,000 feet, which, uh, to be honest with you, I underestimated it. You know, after after having been to Aconcagua and McKinley, you know, over 20,000 feet, I'm like, eh, OK, <laughs> this will be, you know, it's going to be adventurous, but the climb won't be that that difficult. Well, uh, I'll never do that again. Uh, <laughs> Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Spring has sprung, but there's still a lot of great skiing in the backcountry, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with the proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Take a second to visit members.adventuresportspodcast.com. As you've heard, that's our new members site where you guys can get great deals by sponsoring the show. It allows you to get discounts on all kinds of adventure-related vendors for as little as $4.95 a month. So it's a good way to support the show and get something back. And while you're at it, if you hear a sponsor on our show, do us a favor and give them a shout out. It lets them know that their ad is working and it keeps money flowing into the show so we can keep excellent episodes coming to you twice a week. Thanks, guys.
I'll have to back up the story a little bit. Um, I did Vincent Massive. It was um, later November and into December. Uh, uh, last summer, I got a call from a gentleman by the name of Robin Sharma. He's a big leadership uh, guru, has written several books on leadership. You know, he speaks to Fortune 500 companies. And he was giving a leadership, he calls it the Titan Summit. And he was given this event in Zurich, Switzerland. And he called me up and, you know, um, he wanted me to go to Zurich and talk about uh, my adventures and overcoming fear and, you know, all these things that I do and embracing struggle and living your dream life. And I said, you know, I'm honored that you would call me and want me to do that. It was his Titan Summit event was December 4th through the 7th. And I'm like, you know, I'll be in Antarctica during that time. He's like, what? I said, yeah, I'll be in, in Antarctica. He's like, what's going on in Antarctica? I said, uh, you know, I'm going to be climbing Vincent Massive. And I said, you know, thank you for wanting me to come to um, Zurich, but I can't go. I said, you know, what you can do is send me your book. If I make it to the summit, um, I'll get some photos of me and, and your book. And he's like, awesome. He sent me his book. I got it within the next few days. And, you know, we were going to do that. And then a friend suggested to me that, Hey, you use a satellite phone when you're in, uh, when you go on these big trips. I said, yeah. He's like, why don't you see if you can call in to Robin Sharma's summit event in Zurich? I'm like, oh my God, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's a great. fun idea. And, and it, it gives me goosebumps to tell this, but I sent Robin an email. He's like, you know, Hey, what if I call into your event and I speak to your, um, your audience. It was 140 people. They're mostly CEOs of companies. Steve Wozniak was going to be there speaking. You know, I mean, it was a, it's a big deal. People paid over thirty thousand uh, dollars per seat to be at the event, and it was a four day event. And I was like, I was going to be a speaker there, but I said, you know what? What if we called in from Antarctica while I'm on the mountain? or maybe even near the summit and called into your event. He's like, wow, let's do it. So we coordinated with his event planner and we, we did some test calls and we, we got all the logistics worked out and, you know, we were going to do it. And so here I am, I'm in Antarctica. We're at camp one and we're about to push to camp two, which is high camp. And, you know, we get some information that a storm is coming. Oh, no. Yeah. A storm is coming. And this is December 3rd. I was going to do that call to Zurich on December 4th. And so we decide, okay, we're not going to push to high camp. You know, we'll hunker down. We built up our snow walls. You know, and these, you know, understand that we're using, uh, you know, what an ice saw is, right? So we're using an ice saw and we're actually, you know, making this quarry like thing and digging out these um, big ice blocks or snow blocks. You know, they're about two by two, two feet by two feet. And they weigh, you know, a good 40 to 50 pounds. And so we build up these snow walls around our tents 
because a storm's coming in. So the storm comes in and the winds start picking up and December 3rd rolls into December 4th. And that's when they wanted me to do the call, the call to Zurich. And they wanted me to call at 930 in the morning and Zurich time. It was going to be 130 in the afternoon, about 8,600 miles away. And so at 30 in the morning, I mean, I'm all primed up. I'm ready. I can't believe I'm going to be doing this. But here I am. Now I'm in the middle of a storm. The winds right. picked up to about, yeah, the winds picked up to about 50 miles an hour, 40 to 50 miles an hour. Eventually, they got up to 90 miles an hour. It was just mm. incredible. It destroyed our it destroyed our camp, destroyed our tent. It was just everything we, we could do just to stay in the tent because all the tent poles were bent and broken. And actually our body weight kept, you know, the tent from just blowing away. And if it did, we would have been, we would have been done. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It would have been horrible. And so I'm in the tent and with two other tent mates. And so nine 30 rolls around. I got all my gear on except my boots and I'm half in my, my sleeping bag. And I have my phone. I'm on my knees and I have my phone propped up and I have an earpiece, you know, hooked up to my ear and to the phone. And I dial New York and I connect with my wife and she dials to Zurich, Switzerland, and we make the connection. And I make the connection and I'm talking with a gentleman by the name of Jeff and he's on stage. And then he's going to hand me off to Robin Sharma and they're going to introduce me. But he goes, hang on, Tom, we're going to put you on hold for about 10 minutes. I'm like, what? (laughs) No. I'm like, what? You're going to put me on hold. And he puts me on hold. And I'm like, I'm on my knees and, and, and I'm in a storm, a raging storm outside. And he puts me on hold. And I'm like, (laughs) Doesn't he know how lucky I we are just to make the connection, the satellite right. connection? I mean, he has no idea. And so I'm like I said, I'm on my knees and I'm looking at the phone and I'm watching just the seconds tick by because you know you can see how much time you're using, you know. Right. And plus I'm paying I'm paying high dollars for these for these minutes on the sat phone. And so after nine minutes, um they come back. And they're like, okay, Robin's going to introduce you. And he introduces me. And it was just this great introduction. And I'm like, oh, my God, he has no idea what's going on back here in Antarctica. And he introduces me. And it it was perfect. I couldn't have asked for a better setting. You know, I mean, here I am in the middle of this raging storm. And I and I'm talking to the audience and I say, welcome to Antarctica. And I said, Robin, I have to tell you, I'm in the middle of this raging storm, you know, so let's let's get right. Let's get right to it. I said, but I'm so grateful. I said, I really I wouldn't want to be up on stage in Zurich. I'd rather be here talking, um, talking to your audience. Right. And so it was just, you know, I get emotional talking about it, but it was just this. You know, just this amazing thing because I talk about being grateful, 
overcoming fear. And here I am, you know, I wasn't really scared, you know, because, you know, it's not like I can just leave this place. Okay, I don't want to be in the storm anymore and go home. There's no going home, you know, so you have to face your fears and you have and you have to do the best that you can, but you're prepared for it. You know, you really are. And here I am talking to this audience. I can't see them, but 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 this is what I'm meant to do. If that makes sense, to inspire others to be their their best selves. And here I am in this storm in Antarctica, you know, the most remote place on earth, the the coldest place on earth, and I have to be my best self to get through this. <laughs> right. Does that does that make sense? Oh sure, absolutely. Sense? And so it was just one of these these moments where I was super grateful. And we talked about that. We talked about being grateful. He he asked me questions about, you know, how did I overcome, you know, the homelessness and uh, in and out of trouble and, you know, those questions. And, you know, we talked about what was going on. I could barely hear him. You know, the tent was the tent walls were flapping and the winds were howling and the winds were picking <laughs> I, up. Oh, yeah, I get the pictures. It was just incredible. And then, you know, the call lasted for about 19 minutes before I, I lost the signal. And that was that. And then, you know, three or four hours later, the winds picked up. Uh, they were between 80 and 90 mile an hour winds. And those are those are hurricane force winds. Sure. And it um, destroyed the the tent walls that we had built up destroyed the tent, destroyed the whole camp. And we were um, extremely lucky to, to get out of that. But um, it was, for me, that was almost as good as being up on the summit of mountains and massive. It was just having, having done that and that event and going through that storm. It's just, um, you know, an incredible, incredible experience. And being the people, you know, being with the people that I was with, just incredible. What was incredible. it like when the storm ended finally and you could step out of the tent? <laughs> it was like, it was like, oh my God, when you, you know, when you looked outside and there was just really, you know, everything was destroyed. Tents were crushed. The walls were blown over. There was, you know, but it was like, Wow. Okay, that's over. Thank God, <laughs> we survived it. You know, it was a moment of of gratefulness. But then it's like, okay, we got to get back to work here, right? We got we got to get back to work. We got to set up a new tent and uh, set up snow walls, and then okay, get ready because we still want to push to high camp. Because what's the mission here? It's like okay, so, uh, you know, it's not like we want we were going to run scared. And go back down to base camp and get the heck out of there. Um, we were there to do a job, and that was to summit uh, the highest peak in Antarctica. So we got back at it. Founded and operated in Colorado, Catabatic Gear is driven by the premise that ultralight backpacking equipment should be made lighter through innovative design and advanced materials, not by simply stripping components. With intuitive features and the best, most advanced materials, Catabatic Gear's sleeping bags, backpacks, and accessories strike the perfect balance between ultralight weights and ultimate comfort that will change the way you think about backpacking. 
If you're considering lightening the load on your next backpacking trip, check out some of their award-winning gear at katabaticgear.com. That's K-A-T-A-B-A-T-I-C gear.com. We, we spent a day uh, reorganizing and, and getting our stuff together. Then the next day, we got up early, kind of looking at the weather, and we're like, nah, you know, it doesn't look back up on top, and maybe we'll stay down. We'll stay down another day. But after about an hour, it looked like it was going to clear a little bit. So we, we geared up, and we pushed for high camp. And... Um, you know, going up these steep, these steep hills uh, really scares the heck out of me. You know, we're using fixed lines and going up. And, um, you know, when you're into the face of the mountain, and I'd say there were good 40-degree angles, um, it's not that bad. But coming back down or looking behind me, I really get a sense of height. Right. And I think I told you in the beginning, you know, even though I'm flying jets and helicopters and you know, I really have a strong fear of heights. And but it, you know, I, I have to overcome these fears if I want to do these big things. So so we got up to high camp. It took us all day and the weather was horrible. <laughs> it was foggy. It was, you know, lightly snowing up there and the wind was blowing. And I'm like, man. And that's that was the kind of weather that we climbed in. So we set up tent. We got up there, had a hot meal, went to bed. And then the next day was summit day. You know, we were going to, uh, we were going to push for the summit. And that day I was so juiced up, so energized. I mean, I felt super strong. I mean, it was just incredible. Um, it took us, I want to say about a whole day going, reaching the summit and then getting back down was about a 14 hour day. And it was about eight hours up and six hours back down. Mm. But, um, when we were nearing the summit, um, one of our teammates was struggling a bit. We had to stop about every five minutes because he just couldn't, you know, we talked earlier about mountain sickness, mountain sickness. Right. And, uh, he just, he didn't, he didn't have the oxygen, you know, he, for some reason, and he had climbed some high peaks before too, you know, I mean, and so it's not like uh, this was anything new to him, but, um, you know, and we weren't going to go to the summit without him. So we, you know, this was a team effort. There was five of us and, uh, we stopped and waited. And, the, you know, as we uh, got closer to the summit, the winds were howling up there. They were just howling. And it was super cold. We had to really watch out for a frostbite. And, you know, you're all covered up. You know, you're wearing a baklava, you know, full face mask and, you know, heavy mittens, you know, all geared up, roped in. And, um, you know, I wish I could show you some pictures. So we were stopping every five minutes as we got closer to the summit. Uh, but, the, you know, once we got to the summit, the winds died down, the sun, the sun came out, and it was just a beautiful beautiful day and we spent about i want to say 20 minutes up there and then it was time but you know when i got there i'll have to tell you i just i started crying 
Sure. Uh, I just, you know, I mean, I do uh, every, every summit that I've done, I just, you know, um, first thing I did was I took out my sat phone, called my wife and I called her and I couldn't talk. (laughs) She goes, what's wrong? What's wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She's like, is that you? Is that you? You know? And I couldn't talk. I was just so, I was speechless. I really was. And we talked for a few minutes, you know, after I finally could get the words out. And, you know, I was like, we did it. We did it. And uh, then I called my son. So, you know, um, I kind of get emotional as I talk about it because I'm kind of reliving it as I'm talking about it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and see, you know, when I when I tell people that you really need to start getting emotional about your life. Um, it's, it's important to me and it should be important to you. You know, we don't get a second chance at this stuff. So, you know, if, if I can live my dream life, you can live yours. And so, you know, the reason why I get, you know, teared up and I'm crying on top of the mountain is because, I've accomplished a dream and I'm only up there for you're only there for a couple of moments, you know, but these moments in time, they last forever for me, for me. And that's important to me. And I want to share those experiences with people like, yeah, you can do it, too. You know, find out what your mountain is and go climb it. You know, not not the physical mountain, but whatever it is, building a great family building a great business, go writing a book or, or whatever, whatever it is, find out what that mountain is for you. And so, you know, when I accomplish these things and these dreams, these passions of mine, uh, you know, they take years to accomplish. Oh, sure. Yeah. You know, everything that goes into it, but it's, it's really, it's, you know, the, the summit there, it's, it's, it's a momentary thing. Uh, but it's really, you know, when you've heard people say, well, it's the journey. Well, it really is the journey. It is the journey. And that's what you should realize. And for me, it's about sharing with others and being, you know, living my life with transparency, with uh, love and integrity. Right. And these are things that I've learned by pushing myself to be the very best that I can be. And obviously, I'm not perfect and I make lots of mistakes. Um but that's okay. My intentions, as long as your intentions are good, you know, you're going to be okay. You know, I'd, I'd rather live my life that way than the way that I used to live it, you know? So, yeah, um, sir, it, it seems like the, the storm is part of the summit experience. And, I, and I'm pulling that from what you're saying here is that it's the adversity that you face on that journey that makes the summit all the more special. And uh, it's not just about you know, climbing Mount Vincent. It's about all of life. We have those storms. Exactly. Exactly. And you can get through it and you will get through it, you know, but, you know, there's certain things that you have to do. You have to believe. You have to believe in yourself. And, you know, if if I can do it, you can do it. And, you know, I'm talking to your audience there. Um you know, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm cut from the same cloth as, as everybody else. And um, we all have struggles, but those struggles are there for a reason. They're there. They're there to tell you that you need to to get over it or get through it. You have to grow and learn. And these are opportunities. 
You know, every struggle that comes your way, whatever it is, whether it's if it's a, you know, financial or uh, a death in the family or you lose a job or, you know, something like that. There's a reason for that. It's an opportunity to grow. You know, when one door closes, another one is going to open. And that's always the case. We don't see it at the moment. But I've been through enough of these situations, you know, when I was in Aconcagua and I told you that a tent for three days in this little five by six tent, a little small little two man tent. But you know what that did? It brought me back to when I was in jail, you know, I was in jail Mm. for 30 days for doing some stupid things. And I was in, in there and I was in a little five by six cell. And when I was in the tent on Aconcagua in the snowstorm, I thought back to that time and I'm like, well, if I can do that, you know, if I can spend 30 days, <laughs> I can do, then really I did. And, and I talk about that. People are like, you know, they may laugh or they may chuckle, but they're like, well, it's probably right. And that helped me get through that snowstorm. And so all these things are life lessons. And I look at struggles that come, come at me on a daily basis. And I'm like, what's the opportunity in this? Right. You know, really. And that's how we should look at life. What's the opportunity? Because there is an opportunity. You know, I've flown in enough and around enough thunderstorms and bad weather when I'm flying the jets and helicopters. What's on the other side of a storm? The sun comes out and it's beautiful weather. And it's the same thing with life. You know, and it's, it was no different on Vincent Massive. Well, you know, 90 mile an hour winds. When that was over, when we survived it, and, and you know, it was a beautiful day the next day. And what did right. we do? We got back to, we, we got back to work. Opportunity. Um, here I am sharing that with you and your audience, but it made me stronger as a person. You know, I survived another horrific storm, which, you know, but we were prepared for it, you know? Sure. Um, so. These are definitely opportunities, and that's what people need to realize. Instead of shrinking away from our fears, we need to face our fears, embrace them, and step into them. You know, I always say, what's on the other side of fear? What's on the other side of fear is love. Mm, Yeah. Well, awesome. So, Thank you so much for not just sharing the information about the climb, but for sharing your heart and your motivation with us to motivate others and to make their lives better. Tom, it's a beautiful thing. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, I get a little, I get a little emotional about when I start, you know, reminiscing about these uh, adventures and sharing them. And, you know, I like to be fully transparent. And when I say it's an honor to, to speak with you and, and share something with your, with your audience, it really comes from the heart. God's well, honest truth. Thank you very much. And I'm glad that you could be a part of this today. We need to let our guests know. All of our listeners know how they can get in touch with you through your website. And so that's TomFabry.com. That's T-O-M-F-A-B-B-R-I.com. And how else should they look for you, Tom? Um, They can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Um, I'm on – my books are on Amazon and Ageless You and Ageless You Adventure but really, if they go to the website, um, that's a you'll get a pretty good indication of what's going on with my life and the adventures and, you know, upcoming adventures. So, uh, you know, TomFabry.com, that's that's the best place. Or email Tom at TomFabry.com. Oh, that's awesome. So, 
Well, yeah, Tom, I yeah. can't wait to dig into your books, and I would like to hopefully have you on the show again at some point in the future where we can dive into more about what these books are about. But I encourage all of our listeners, go to TomFabry.com and look at the books and the other opportunities to gain inspiration and insight from what Tom has done in his own life. So, Tom, thank you so much for sharing again, and thank you for uh-huh. taking the time to be on the Adventure Sports Podcast. Well, um, thank you. To, to be able to do these podcasts and, and speak with you and your audience, fantastic. Love your show. You know, Tom is a perfect example of what it means to get out there and do something with your life. Don't allow your current circumstances to hold you back. Dream big dreams. Go chase those dreams. And you'll make a difference not only for yourself, but for many others around you. And Tom, thank you for sharing that difference with us today. Okay. Thanks, Curtis. It was such a pleasure. Enjoy. You bet. Have a good evening. That'll wrap it up for the Tom Fabry 7 Summit and Mount Vincent Massif episode. Tune in next Monday for Dan Keeley. He's going to be talking about a 1,250-mile self-supported run from Rome to London. Dan has been dealing with bipolar disorder and wants to raise awareness for it, so that should be a good one. Until then, get out and have some fun.